great. Okay, good to see you all. Welcome. This is the Gender and Sexuality Talk. Stuart Parker, this fantastic fellow here from Guildford Centrepoint, who is the director of the Trust Freedom Trust, uh, the Freedom Trust, and uh, so they they work with bringing um, support and pastoral care for those that are struggling with same-sex attraction and just all of that means for them as individuals and just to help bring education and clarity. And so today, Stuart's going to really serve us so well as he brings clarity and truth into what can be sometimes a confusing situation where what, what are we to think and what are we to do? How do we express the kindness of God and the wisdom of God? He is a beautiful God who brings good things to all people. So how is he good in this way as well? And so we're just really grateful for your contribution to us this morning and we know that God's goodness is for our good our thriving and we trust him with all our hearts don't we and so we want to understand how do you want to speak wisdom into our situation today Stuart has great experience and wisdom I'm going to hand over to him in a second as you'll see there we got texting questions so they'll be anonymous and we'd love to be able to spend about 15 minutes at the end just getting time with you answering your questions and Stuart's going to be really awesome at just engaging with those questions with you as well so please do make the most of that that's an awesome resource for you to make the most of this occasion and you're going to get to be able to bleed this man dry and find out all that you want to know so Stuart thank you thanks very much Martin Something seems to have just happened with the speakers. Is that better? Can you hear me now? Great, okay. Um, so I was going to try and pack quite a lot into an hour, and I've just lost about 10 minutes. So let's just see how we go. Do just feel free to text your questions in as we go along, and we'll, we'll do what we can um, towards the end. So where have we got to as a society on gender and sexuality? Well, a lot's happened, hasn't it, over recent years? Gay marriage, um, a fairly united message from the media, uh, legislation, young people encouraged to question their gender. Where have we got to as a church? Uh, maybe quite a lot of confusion and some splits and increasingly we're noticing at True Freedom Trust a lot of churches just the leadership losing their confidence in, in, the, in, the, in the Bible and kind of going silent on it. So I'm really excited to have this opportunity just to speak um, about this subject today because I think it's something we've got to keep talking about and where have we got to as individual Christians um, some are facing uh, issues and questions around their own sexuality and gender um, many in the church seem confused or even embarrassed by the, the traditional orthodox biblical sexual ethic so what I'm going to try to do today is to explain um, what the Bible says about these matters and why it's uh, good news for us all um, just a few words of introduction. Um, I actually came to a seminar a bit like this about 15 years ago before I was really o very open about my own uh, struggles and I remember sneaking in, um, things were a bit different maybe 15 years ago and being um, very wary about anyone or was anyone else going to be here who knew me and what would they think about me being here. So I just want to just recognise that this is a sensitive topic and if someone, you know, if you recognise someone else is here, then just be careful about the questions that you put to them. Um, and and I just want also to say that I'm going to try to be sensitive in the way that I speak and the language that I use. Um, but I just have to sort of preempt that by say, by saying I'm sorry if something that I say um, comes out the wrong way or 
um, offends you. Uh, that's not my intention, um, but I'm going to try to motor through um, in what I say. We've got lots of experience at True Freedom Trust around same-sex attraction, but I just want to say that the whole issue of gender identity is something that we're trying to grapple with. Um, it's a fairly new thing for us, so just bear with me on that, particularly if you've got any complex pastoral questions around it. Now, some of you, I think they've printed out about 50 handouts. Some of you may have a handout, and there's some topics on there. So just briefly, I'm going to tackle the biblical position, firstly, on sexuality and gender. I'm then going to say why I believe that God's way is good news for LGBT people and applying that to our church life and to our conversations within the church and beyond the church. And then I hope there'll be some time, some time for Q&A. Intersex, I just want to say a few words on intersex before um, we get going. I'm, I'm going to try to cover gender identity, transgender. Um, I'm not really going to be going into intersex. Now, intersex, you may well have heard of, and this is where a person's biological sex is unclear when they're born. And this is a very, very uh, rare condition. Well, it's kind of an umbrella set of conditions. And these exceptional cases do require medical care and often entail difficult decisions by the family and the medical um, staff involved. And we really need to be very sensitive to those situations. Um, now, the bigger kind of umbrella term, transgender, um, which I'm going to be kind of more looking at today, is where a person's felt sense of gender doesn't match with their clear biological sex. Okay, so just, just want to kind of, hopefully that's clear. There's intersex, which is clearly a medical condition, and transgender is the more, the bigger sort of umbrella term, where it's more kind of, I don't feel, you know, I can see that I'm supposed to be male, but I don't feel like a man. I feel more like a woman. It's that kind of um, dysphoria or confusion or conflict from within that's, that's more the transgender um, experience that I'm talking about today. And if you want to go somewhere to get more clarity on that distinction between intersex and transgender, I'd really recommend a video by Andrew Wilson that he recorded a couple of years ago. It's on your handout. Um, but if you go to Vimeo and just Google Andrew Wilson transgender, a great video, about half an hour in 2016. That's really helpful on that. Um, terminology, I'm going to um, be using terms like same-sex attraction, gay, lesbian, um, LGBT. So bear with me. I'm not, I know there's lots of lots of terms that people use, and I'm just using some summary terms. And I'll be coming back to the whole issue of uh, terminology as we go along. But hopefully you can um, bear with me as I use some terms, even if it's not the terms you might use yourself. Okay, that's my introduction out of the way. So let me tell you a little bit about myself. Um, as Martin said, I work for True Freedom Trust and I've uh, been working for them for a while now. Uh, I first knew that I was mainly attracted to other guys from a young age, but um, growing up in the 1980s, going to an all-boys school, it wasn't the sort of uh, done thing to talk about that. And I didn't really even acknowledge it to myself until my early 20s. So I kind of just pushed it to one side, um, had a lot of shame about it, 
and hoped it would go away, hoped it would just sort itself out. I always wanted to uh, get married, have a family. Um, as I grew up though, these feelings persisted and I could see that um, my persistent um, orientation was, was, was staying the same and that left me really confused. I actually became a Christian at the age of 20, coming from a non-Christian family and um, it didn't particularly feature the whole issue of sexuality because I wasn't really admitting it to myself. But then as, I, as time went on and I, I saw, hey, I need, to, I need to face this issue, I started to tell people, a few people about it, a few trusted people. I joined True Freedom Trust and that was such a help to me because I met other Christian people who were holding to a, a biblical position, struggling themselves, but really wanted to live for God. That was so helpful. And in my early 30s, I actually received some really positive counseling. It wasn't like conversion therapy, but it was looking at this issue. It was with a desire to get married. And that helped me um, to, to deal with a lot of my shame around this issue, um, to grow in confidence in my own masculinity, my own ability to relate to, to other men in a helpful way, and, and having a growing openness to a relationship with a woman. And actually, in uh, six years ago, I met or well, I met a few years before that, but I met and I, in 2012, I married Jean, who's now my wife, and we've got two children. Um, and so we're camping here with with my church from Guildford. So I just wanted to sort of share what is my story, just so that you can get this in context. But that's not everyone's story. That's that's my story, and for some people with this issue or these issues, uh, marriage might be an option for others. Our lifelong celibacy will be their call and um, and that's something I want to encourage each of us to respect is that each person's got their own story and we shouldn't shouldn't push a particular outcome on people okay so hopefully that gives you a little bit about me now I'd like to go through a few passages from the Bible so that we're really clear on what that says because I think that's such a helpful grounding it's such a um, a confused area. Let's look for the Bible. And I want to go through briefly three uh, books of the Bible. First of all, uh, Genesis. What, 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 what happened in creation? Then what did Jesus say in Matthew? And then what did Paul say about this issue when he took it to a culture much like ours? Um, when he took, it to, took the gospel to the Gentiles? Did anything change along the way? So let's start with... Um, with, with the biblical position. Um, hopefully you do get balanced teaching on this at church, but as I say, um, often churches are going silent on this. If your church goes silent on it, um, the danger is that the people listen more to the culture and the media than they do to the Bible. So I think it's so important that we cover this. Um, if you want to go through the biblical position in more detail on sexuality, I'd recommend this book by Kevin DeYoung, What Does the Bible Say About Homosexuality? It's, it's really helpful. It's not, it's not a long book, and it goes through the main passages in the Bible, and it answers useful questions as well. If you want to read more about transgender, I'd recommend this book by Andrew T. Walker, called God and the Transgender Debate. We found that at, at TFT to be clear but also the most pastorally sensitive uh, book on the subject so I'd recommend those two books if you want to read more on the subject 
But let's do what we can this morning. Um, let's have a look at Genesis 1 and verse 27. So if you've got a handout, this will be on your handout. Otherwise, you might want to look it up in your Bible or on your phone. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Um, so the verse says male and female who created them. So our maleness or our femaleness is something God-given. This is right at the start of creation. This is something really important about us. It's not something that we choose. Uh, each person, as I say, with the exception of a very, very rare uh, set of medical intersex conditions, each person is clearly given uh, a gender um, which comes out of their biological uh, sex, male or female. Um, now this has got to be something more than just biological sex here because it's talking about us being in the image of God and as we know um, God isn't uh, physical, uh, he's spiritual so this must be talking about something more than that so as well as the, uh, the maleness and femaleness this must come out in our gender as well gender being the roles that we play out in society which comes out of our maleness or femaleness and when we see throughout scripture that gender is always assumed to be determined by a biological sex. So you've got sex and gender as two terms. So sex comes out, is clear from your anatomy and then gender is the role that comes out of that and it's God-given. Um, having said all that, let's not go down the road of gender stereotypes and this can be a problem in churches. So if, you know, if you're a man uh, you don't have to be into football, it's fine to be into knitting. If you're, a, if you're a woman, you don't have to like cooking and craft, it's okay to, you know, be into snooker or hiking, that's fine. So let's not impose uh, cultural stereotypes on people. Having said that, there are some clear distinctions in the Bible about um, masculine and feminine roles. So as a man, I can be a son. I, can, I might be a brother, uh, if I get married I could be a husband, I might have children and, have a f and be a father. I'm never going to be a daughter, a sister, a wife or a mother. Those are gender specific roles that are reserved for women and, and of course you can talk about it the other way around. So, um, so that's Genesis 1.27, hopefully that's given a little bit of clarity on what the Bible says about gender. Let's move on a chapter, Genesis 2.24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So again, right at the start of creation, we've got real clarity here. We have the definition of biblical marriage. One man and one woman in permanent sexual union. And this in scripture is the lifelong faithful one flesh union and that's the one single scripture for what for which God has made sexual expression for um, and this is more than just what our culture might call having sex um, which almost sounds like just something you consume um, the way that God talks about this is that two people become one one flesh and this is a mystery and we won't fully understand it in this life Ephesians 5 gives us a a hint of this, it uh, echoes 
the union of Christ and his church, um, there's something bigger going on when a man and a woman come together in, in a one flesh relationship. Um, so let's, let's, let's move away from our, our culture's consumption of sex, just like, um, a you know, like you might consume a glass of milk or, or a series on Netflix. This is something profound and sacred. And we need to respect the boundaries that our God has given us. It's terribly important to God. So there we are. The first two chapters of the Bible, we've got real clarity on gender and sexual morality. Um, the Bible goes on later, as I'm sure you know, to, to, to make clear the boundaries and to say uh, where, about where sex isn't permitted. But let's, it's good to start with the positive God is positive about sex, and he said right from the start where the place for sexual expression is. Um, right, let's go, let's go on to Matthew 19. So we've looked at creation, we've looked at what that says. Let's move to the New Testament, Matthew 19. Again, this is in your handout, if you've got a handout. And um, it's helpful to look at what Jesus says about this, because some people today would say, well, you know, it's all very well talking about the Old Testament, but Jesus never mentioned homosexuality. And anyway, you know, maybe things kind of moved on, a bit like people talk about the, the progression uh, through Scripture about slavery or the role of women. Let's sort of see that things progress. Um, so I want to sort of see, well, what does Jesus say about that? Well, look at this. It's not specifically Jesus talking about homosexuality, but a question comes up on divorce, and he go and let's look at where he goes to, to um, to talk about um, the 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 authority on matters of marriage. Matthew nineteen verses three to six. Pharisees came up to Jesus and tested him by asking, "Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause?" He answered, "Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning?" made them male and female and said therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh what therefore god has joined together let man not separate so that's jesus on these matters referring back to genesis 1 and 2 as we've seen to one flesh lifelong marriage to male and female not budging one iota on the creation principles of gender and sexual morality so in jesus answer to the question he reiterates the exclusive biblical pattern there's no change and if anything he tightens up you know if we look at the sermon on the mount we know that jesus tightens up when he talks about lust he tightens up the the biblical position on on sexual morality if you know, if, if a man even looks lustfully he's he's committed adultery um there's no there's no kind of softening on 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 morality around uh around sexual expression so if we are to remain in our god-given gender and we are to restrict so we are to remain in our god-given gender and restrict sexual expression to the marriage of one man and one woman Right, last biblical passage, 1 Timothy 1, 
uh, verses 8 to 11. And I want to do this one because you might well say, well, you know, Jesus was mainly talking to, to Jewish people. Um, society is different today. You know, we're in a, a liberal society. Things have moved on. Well, actually, when Paul was writing to uh, Timothy in the Roman city of Ephesus, it was a society much like ours today. Um, anything goes. Um, sex with any consenting person would have been much more the norm there. So what does Paul write to the church in that context? So starting at verse 8. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So there we go. It's a vice list, isn't it? It's one of those vice lists in the New Testament. Um, but it's written to uh, a Gentile culture. And how clear is Paul? Because he uses, he says, um, the sexually immoral, that, that Greek word porneia, which people would have understood in those days to include uh, homosexual behavior. But he makes it crystal clear by, by actually saying, and, and you know, let me be, be absolutely clear on this, men who practice homosexuality as well. He's kind of, there's a double, double whammy here, um, just to be really clear. So there we go. We've had a look through from Genesis, uh, what happened in creation through to what Jesus says about sexual morality, and then going on to when Paul takes it to the Gentiles, unchanging um, the position from the Bible. I think we need to start there. What is the biblical truth? Because we can get very confused about this, but I don't want to just leave it with, hey, that's the truth. Get on with it sort of thing. At True Freedom Trust, we very much want to get a balance between truth and grace. I hope that's been a sort of a useful foundation on truth. Um, but let's recognize that there can often be genuine pain and confusion for people who struggle, like myself, with same-sex attraction or when their felt sense of gender doesn't match up with their biological sex. These are not feelings that people choose. Uh, I didn't choose to be attracted to other guys. Um, these are not things that can just be ignored. I tried that, it doesn't work. Um, and we can't, we can't just tell people uh, that they can be prayed away. Obviously prayer always helps us, but let, let us not uh, trivialize or dismiss uh, the significance of these, of these feelings that people have. So now from the rest of the seminar, I want to talk about how we can speak to others with compassion and understanding. We need to know where we stand biblically, um, but that might not be the best place to start, particularly when talking to non-Christians. This, um, what the Bible says about sex and gender may well not make sense to, to, to non-Christians. They need to hear the gospel like we all do. Um, but let's, let's make sure that we're clear ourselves. So what I want to do is uh, now to talk about why God's way is good news for LGBT people. Um, and it's probably not going to surprise you that I'm going to start by saying, what's the really good news for LGBT people? Well, it's just the same as it is for all of us. It's the gospel that the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins on the cross. 
and you rose to, uh, to show us the way to the Father. It's just the same as it is for everyone else. Uh, however confused you may be in your gender, however, um, whatever your past may contain in terms of sexual behavior, whatever your sexuality, Jesus loves you and he wants you to follow him. Let's, let's start with that. But we do need to recognize that there is a cost to discipleship. And for someone who's called because of their prevailing sexual attractions um, to celibacy or to remain within their birth gender when their feelings shout out something different, that's a real, that's a real cost, isn't it? When our culture is saying, just go with your feelings for someone to be faithful to what the Bible says, that's a costly discipleship. Matthew 16, 24 says, and this is Jesus speaking, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Um, and what's interesting there is, it says if anyone would follow me, and it doesn't say for this particular group of people, they've got a costly discipleship, but the rest of you, you know, it's just plain sailing. Um, and I think that's a really helpful way to connect with people on this. Let's, let's look at our, ourselves and think, where is discipleship costly for me? Uh, because that's, that's how you're going to get credibility talking to someone on this, on this subject who's struggling in this area. Um, if someone is called to lifelong celibacy, that's a tough call. And as churches, um, church can sometimes be unhelpful on this just by saying, hey, you just got to get married and you'll be sorted and, and marriage is better than singleness. Well, that's not what the Apostle Paul said. That's not what Jesus says. That's not what they modeled with their lives. Let's have a, a biblical position on singleness, please, in our churches. I wonder if an LGBT person came to your church um, whether they might say, well, these Christians are asking me to give up hope of a sexual relationship and a marriage companion, but I don't see them living costly lives. I wonder if they might say that sometimes. So I'm just going to put this question to each of us. W what have you sacrificed in following Jesus for you? What have I sacrificed for me? Have you given up a well-paid job to do something more strategic for the kingdom? Have you sacrificed your reputation amongst neighbors and colleagues because you're clearly faithful in following Jesus? Have you embraced singleness because it gives you more time for God's work? So what are we doing in our lives that makes our discipleship costly? Are our churches genuinely still preaching a gospel of repentance or do we have a gospel light which is strong on blessings but shies away from talking about the cost so that's the first thing i just want to put to each of us as a challenge yes uh, living a life of single of, of celibacy is tough but um the christian walk should be costly for all of us um, in different ways so the bible doesn't promise us any any of us sexual fulfillment it doesn't promise any of us a spouse it doesn't even promise us our own children hey this is all getting a bit heavy isn't it um so in case you think it's all going to be a bit kind of miserable now and you know pie in the sky when you die 
Let me read you an interesting passage from Mark 10. Um, and Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or lands for my stake in the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. It's quite a long sentence, isn't it? But it's basically saying, yes, I will call you to leave things uh, and to have a cost in this life, but there will be a reward. And it's not just going to be in the life to come. It's going to be a hundredfold in this life now. And it's interesting because I was in a seminar yesterday on honor and shame. And uh, and that was really that was kind of going through these verses and talking about how we're going to be uh, we're taking on the shame of the gospel, but of, of the cross in our lives. But we also get clothed with the uh, the hope. But I think there's also something in these verses about about relationships and about how the church can be a, a genuine family for each of us. And I think um, is is our are our churches uh, genuinely giving people brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers in a spiritual sense? Do people come to our church and to our churches and? feel so welcome so included so loved so you know come around to my house and have have um have dinner with us and come and get involved in with my children and this sort of thing that their maybe their singleness doesn't feel so painful anymore because they're so included so let's make our churches places where um where where people can live celibate lives uh, that are not lonely, that are not on the edge, but are fully involved in, our, in in family life as well. So that was, yeah, that was just something about God's church, how it can be a blessing to each person, whatever their marital situation. And um, and I also wanted to say something about God's kingdom. We've been looking at that at West Point, and there's that tension, isn't there, between God's kingdom coming now, but also. It's not yet. It's going to be complete in the life to come. So that tension between what we have now and and the not yet. So let's get the let's get the cost that there genuinely is in this life in perspective. In Revelation twenty one four, there's going to be no more pain in the future in the life to come. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away so we need to help people to see sexuality with eternal eyes did you know that there's going to be no sexual intercourse in heaven so sex is just a pointer to the greater ecstasy of knowing jesus in full so from eternal perspective sexual sexual activity is just a passing passing thing let's get that in perspective um, and let's see, while well, we recognize that, that singleness and celibacy is a tough call, let's get marit marital, our marital state in perspective as well. Jesus says there's no marriage in heaven. Well, there's the marriage between the church and him, but there's no marrying between couples in heaven. We, the church, are going to be the great bride to be presented to Jesus, the, the ultimate bridegroom. So if you're long-term single, be reassured as part of the church, if you're a Christian, you will be married to, 
to Christ forever. If you're presently married, good for you. But get that marital state in perspective. Your marriage, however wonderful it might be, is temporary. It will be superseded by a greater marriage. So for the person called to deny their sexual desires or gender preference in this life, it is, it is a costly call, but it's helpful to listen less to the, the clamoring voices of our world. Now the world says, hey, you've just got to be yourself. Jesus says, you've got to deny yourself. The world says, sex is everything. The Bible says, yes, sex is good, but it's not a right. And it's just a temporary echo of something much more exciting that all who, who call Jesus Lord are invited to in the life to come. So that's a few things I just wanted to highlight about uh, why, why I believe that um, the gospel is good news for LGBT people. And, and hopefully there's some ideas there for um, putting that into practice. So how do we apply all this to our lives? We might think, great, that's good. I know, I know what the Bible says now. I, th I think it's good news. But how do we actually apply this to our conversations, to our churches, um, for those who are struggling with sexual temptations and gender confusion? So I've just got a few tips. Uh, firstly, on talking with non-Christians, then for making our churches better places, both as individuals and as, as for church leaders. So starting with um, talking with non-Christians, what do you talk about with non-Christians? Well, let's just recognize that it's not loving to withhold or minimize the truth. Um, the, the, this is not something that we can just say, hey, it's just a little secondary issue that doesn't matter. Well, you know, 1 Corinthians 6 says, you know, you know people who, who are unrepentant, um, who practice homosexual, behaviors and uh, will not enter the kingdom of god that's really serious stuff isn't it let's not just think we can pretend this stuff isn't there we need to we need to be uh, honest about what the bible says um but let's give up moralizing let's not try to impose christian behavioral principles on people who aren't yet christians then everyone needs the gospel and let's, um, let's call people to obedience once they're Christians. Let's not try to dictate the behaviours of our society uh, first. And let's resist arguing just from a pragmatic perspective on these matters and say, hey, you know, that sort of lifestyle, that's just going to lead to, uh, you know, sexually transmitted diseases or... Um, mental health problems Let, let's let's not be that crass um because all that really needs is for you know for one gay couple to stand up and say hey we've we're happy we're happily together and we have been for decades and and much happier than we ever have been to completely demolish your argument um let's let's bring the gospel to people and i, I this this can also be a, a subject which can be a bit of a red herring it can be kind of you discern whether this is a real stumbling block for the person you're talking to it can just be one of those subjects where people just want to disagree with you and to be something to sort of say hey i don't want to become a christian because 
you all you Christians are, are homophobic or something. So just be be wise about about um, how you talk to people. Be willing to talk about the biblical position on sexual morality. But as I say, don't. People will probably be expecting you to be judgmental. So you're going to have to work really hard to persuade them otherwise, and to be gracious and loving and and talking about um, your own sense of brokenness in this area as well. So that's a bit about what to talk about. How do we talk to people? I would say don't talk about this stuff online. Um, that's my, my observation is when people debate this stuff on on Facebook and stuff, it generally goes downhill. Um, you need to talk to people uh, in the context of your relationship with them. They need to understand that you care for them and that you're you're not just dispensing uh, your viewpoint on this matter. I would say use your own story. Um, the Bible doesn't talk about LGBT people, LGBT people who are kind of sexually broken and the rest of society who, you know, maybe straight, who've got it all together. No, actually, uh, the Bible talks about us all being broken. Uh, what have you had to repent of? I you know, I don't know whether you would be comfortable doing that, but all of us um, have had our, our struggles, haven't we, with, with uh, sexuality, with things that we've done that maybe we shouldn't have done. Um, let us let us recognize our own sexual brokenness. And, and if appropriate, we may need to apologize for how the church has dealt with people uh, in the past. The way that we talk about these matters is surely as important as exactly what we say. Um, people will be very sensitive to the way you talk to them. Okay, so that's a bit about how we talk with non-Christians. How is it? How is People, individual people within our churches can we welcome LGBT people more into our churches I would say uh, widen widen your thinking Let, let's think how can we wel welcome people who are single for whatever reason be they uh, be because of their sexuality maybe just because of their situation maybe they're waiting for get and, and just been waiting waiting to get married uh, let us um, look out for single people in our churches particularly if you're married and maybe have children welcome people who are single into your lives and that's that's not just you know a quick chat after the service but let's be welcoming people into our homes uh getting them involved uh with our children and um, so that they genuinely feel part of of our family if we are genuinely a big church family let's let's put that into practice get some friends who are lgbt people involve them in your lives um there's a great a great book uh, by rosaria butterfield um which if you've got a handout it's on your it's on there where she talks she was a uh, like a professor of uh, queer studies in america and and a, a christian couple invited her into their home and over two years not by dragging her along to church or preaching at her but just by including her or welcoming her into her, her house she softened and she saw their love and, their, and that they weren't judging her and eventually she became a Christian and she's written her story up it's a great, it's a great story and, um, and they just welcomed her into, into their lives and that, that's what we, we can be doing with, with, uh, with people particularly those who are single or struggling in these areas and I would say be sensitive about your terminology um, 
be sensitive to the way that someone describes themselves. If someone says, hey, I'm gay or I'm lesbian or I'm trans, um, it might not be the word that you would prefer to use, but be aware that that person's probably been through a painful journey to get hold of that, that label and for you to discard it and to tell them that they're not that or, you know, that's probably their core, their sense of identity where they're at now. So let's be sensitive to that. I mean, we don't like it, do we, when someone says that we're a fundamentalist or a religious bigot or whatever. So let's be, let's be careful about the words that we use around other people. And a few tips just for anyone who's a church leader. I would say please keep teaching in a balanced way on biblical sexuality in your church. The culture is shouting at us a particular message unless we keep teaching on these subjects. Silence is not neutral. If we stop saying anything, people will just listen to what the BBC says or the, or the Guardian or whatever. Welcome singles into every area of your life. Um, be careful about presenting yourself as a family church. Yes, we are family, but if we, if we just send out the message that it's all about you and your spouse and your, your children, then that's quite, that, that can be quite difficult for, for people who are long-term single. Um, encourage biblical singleness as a, as a high calling, um, like, like Paul does in 1 Corinthians 7. So a few challenging questions to you. Would an LGBT person feel as welcome at your church as they might in the LGBT community? If, some, if a single person, say, was sick, would you take meals to them or would it just be for, some, for a, a family who just had a new baby? How does your church do community? So hopefully, as, as we've kind of gone through these matters, there's been some things that have been helpful to you. Um, I hope you've seen how clear and consistent the Bible is when it comes to sexuality and gender. I hope I've increased your, a little bit maybe your confidence in speaking positively about the hope for LGBT people as there is for everyone in the gospel. And I hope I've given you some tips on how to handle conversations with those who would count themselves as maybe sexual minorities and how to make your churches more welcoming places. So I'm gonna wrap up here. Just a few words about True Freedom Trust. I've put out, I put out a few leaflets at the back um, a few of our magazine, the Send magazines. So uh, do feel free to take any of that literature. If your church, if anything I've said today, you think, hey, I'd like someone in my church or people in my church to hear a bit more about this. We do come and speak at churches. So do feel free to, to approach us on that. Or if maybe you've got a pastoral matter, someone that you know would help, would be helped by talking these things through. Uh, do contact us by phone or through our website. Um, we do conferences and support groups. Um, we'd love to, 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 to find out more and to help you if we can. So I'm going to have a, a few minutes for questions. Do, do feel free to send your questions through. We may not, I'm sure we may not have time to answer all of them, but we'll do what we can. Um, but I just invite each of you maybe just to think, well, what's one thing from this seminar that I'm going to do differently in my life? What's one thing that I might want to take back to my church or mention to my church leaders that you'd like them to change or, or do more of? Um, so that's, 
that's um, that's me done, I think. Yeah. Can we just give him a round of applause? <laughs> Wonderful. So we're not done yet. We're not done yet. Uh, we've got time for questions. Uh, thank you so much. So many good questions flying in. And uh, you know we're not going to get to all of them. That's not an intent. That's just that there's time. And so we're going to work to just uh, try and sort of pick the ones that sort of work with a theme. Um, but uh, Stuart has kindly said he's going to be with us uh, beyond the end of this seminar to just to be there for you if you want to answer any questions and um, get any time there. So, Stuart, are we good? So can I ask you the first question? Can I just? Yeah. Um, just Colin, the steward's just said that he's got some more handouts so he can give one to you if you've not got one on the way out or, or now. On the way out. And um, the photocopy is a bit slow, so... If you don't get one from him, there will be some at the uh, the front desk later on. Information desk. Yeah, great. Fantastic. Let me ask the first question. I'll leave you to riff with that for as long as you want and need, and then we'll flow through. So uh, a great couple of questions came together. So it, it feels like the options are be happy or be obedient and miserable. How can a life of celibacy for someone struggling with same-sex attraction be convincingly portrayed as flourishing? Uh, that's a great question. Um, and in our culture, which says, unless you're sexually active, you're not going to be whole as a person, that's difficult, isn't it? So we've got to be actually modeling uh, live, single lives, celibate lives that are flourishing. Um, so p hopefully partly I address that in in making our churches welcoming so it's not just um, it's not just the burden of the individual person who's called to a life of celibacy let, let this be all of our burdens to make our churches genuine community where people feel loved included a part of a family in more than just in more than just words so that's that's the first thing I think is church is part of the answer to this and part of the answer is like i said is also to get um to get sexual expression into perspective and to recognize that our culture has of course you know sex is a wonderful and, and pleasurable thing um but there's plenty of people who are for various reasons not able to be sexually active not just because of their sexual orientation um, faithful people in our churches who have hoped for a marriage partner for whom that's not happened yet and, that, and that's hard isn't it um, people who have maybe um, for various physical reasons or physical reasons not able to have sex um, so let's move away from the idea that that sex is a right and get that in perspective and and also see that sex sexual expression is something temporary just for this life um but let's let's find ways to to flourish um i mean sex is really an expression of of closeness and intimacy isn't it uh let's find ways to to be to deepen our friendships intimacy doesn't have intimacy in our culture is often equated with sex that's not what intimacy is talked about in the bible uh, we can have deeply intimate and satisfying celibate relationships let's let's be developing friendships 
that go beyond the hi how you doing i'm fine how are you kind of level and let's let's deeply connect with other people um for me i mean i was single i am married now but i was single as an adult for 20 years so i've kind of journeyed through this um not knowing whether you know god has god has blessed me with a with a wife but that wasn't that wasn't clear for many many years and and it's it is tough and i remember actually in my 30s the church that i was at they the leaders they redefined the the 20s and 30s group i really loved i you know i enjoyed the the, the fellowship that we had there and and sadly for me the the church leadership um redefine the singles group to just be for s students and 20s so suddenly i was kind of ejected because i was a 30 something single man and i guess i was kind of expected to have been married already and that was really tough so let's just be kind of sensitive to those things and let's um let's be looking out for those who are you know maybe sure in in their in their 20s but also in their 30s 40s and beyond uh, who are who do come to a place of singleness I mean those of us who are married um, the likelihood one of one partner will die first singleness will be the will be back where the person who survives goes back to I know that sounds a bit morbid but you know it's something we've all got to face isn't it definitely thank you thank you so why does God allow us to have these feelings so if he makes us this way, I'm left feeling confused and trapped, uh, especially if I want to get married and realize that these struggles come later on. So it's a sense of, I feel like I've been wired this way, but now I feel trapped and confused. Yeah, yeah so that issue of, you know, did God make me this way? Was I born this way? And the jury's out on that, really. I think the, the best evidence is probably that it's uh, multifactorial, that there's probably some nurture and some nature. For me, I... I had a sense that I was had these attractions from a young age it didn't like it's not like it kind of came upon me later on it kind of felt like it had always been that way for me um did God make me this way well you know did God make me impatient and jealous and materialistic and we're all fallen aren't we we all have we're all living in the wake of the fall and so we've all got to deal with and carefully and, and and subdue feelings and attractions which um which need reining in so that the, there is something of of the common experience as a christian we've got to uh we've all got to learn self-control even someone who's married has got to learn self-control um marriage isn't it's not like it's like a, then a, a free-for-all in terms of sexual expression if you're married you've got to remain faithful for the rest of your life to your marriage partner despite having attractions to other people but sure, if you're called to lifelong celibacy, that's a tougher, that's tougher, isn't it? Um, you know, I'd, for, for, I think it varies for, for each person where this has come from, and um, and let's be let's be supporting people who are struggling in this area. Uh, so a question came along and said, so I'm talking to my friend, and their response is, well, nature evidences this itself. Animals will. Um, engage in same-sex uh, activity so we've got nature evidencing it so we're animals why is this a problem yeah I mean sure you can you, you know you, you can see animals kind of um, male and male kind of 
going through that process. I mean, you could say that with you could say that with with children, can't you? They they through play, they experiment. I'm not sure that particularly says anything about that animal is wired that way. Um, animals um, primarily are looking to procreate, and uh, I'm not sure that those exceptional um, circumstances of just seeing two male or two female animals really says that much to be honest it just says um, they're just trying something out um, yeah <laughs> thank you so do you think um, that people in a same-sex relationship and I'm I'm extrapolating here I'm possibly imagining a, a sexually active same-sex relationship uh, can they be baptized yeah, so that question about, um, say, a, a gay or lesbian couple, say they come to your church, to what extent can they be included in your church and where do you draw the line? Um, of course, the church is a place for sinners. We're all sinners and we should all be included in church. We should all be welcome at church services. We should, um, people should be, uh, you know, included in, in, in groups and and perhaps whatever their current behaviours, um, we're all struggling. We'll, we'll continue to struggle with with sin in our lives, don't we? Um, we can be invited into you know, to serving in in various ways, but where something where a behaviour in someone's life is is clearly a sin, be it sexual or be it uh, any other sin that's unrepentant, then we can't. We can't have unrepented sin um, going unchallenged, and people um, and people kind of brought into membership or or given a sign like baptism that is a recognition of a repentant heart, um, and that kind of ignored. So I think at some point there's got to be that conversation with with the person, be it about their sexual sin or about any other sin that is unrepentant. Um, before they can be baptized because I think it just doesn't it it surely it just questions whether that person's heart is 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 truly repenting of their sins Great, Great. somewhat related um, so I had uh, some fantastic friends that were exclusive monogamous lesbian couple with three children um, warm to the gospel and uh, attending things and so this is a question that matters to me. This is a question that matters to someone else here. So how do you respond pastorally if a same-sex couple joins your church, particularly if they have kids? And uh, let's take it further and go. So, so they respond to the gospel and they're, they're believers now. Yep. What, what would you give wisdom to on that situation? It's tricky, isn't it? And um, we'll probably find those, those kind of complicated cases are more and more common with gay marriage, with... Uh, all kinds of um, couples uh, being encouraged to adopt um, how have children through IVF and so forth so we, there's, there's no kind of a simple answer it's going to be a case by case of course we welcome those families into our churches um, and in many ways in many situations if, especially if there's children involved um, those children are going to need to stay as part of those families um, and it may be that if 
if that lesbian couple is responding to the gospel and maybe they can find a way of living in the same house in separate beds um maybe that's the way through maybe that's going to be too much temptation it, it, it's hard to it's hard to give a one size fits all answer to that because it's going to depend on the hearts of those people and the situation of those uh, those children and and to kind of just bulldoze in and say that's wrong you've all got to split up and start back at square one well, it's, it's not realistic is it and uh, this is where church family comes in and um and where those sensitive pastoral conversations have really got to gauge where their hearts are and to navigate a way through um i mean one biblical situation that comes to mind is um i think it's one corinthians 7 where there's this thing you know you might have been mar- you might be married to a non-christian you've embraced the faith but your spouse hasn't and paul says don't 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 just divorce because you're not married to a, a christian you know things are complicated um you made those vows stay together and that's obviously slightly different where say a, a gay or lesbian couple has has been married in the eyes of the law because same-sex marriage isn't recognized as a institution biblically but it does sort of resonate a little bit with that situation that we all come in with our own baggage our own history and um we've got to just live out of where we are and work that through with wisdom great great so a family uh, they're raising their, their kids and one of their teenagers is starting to question their own um sexuality uh, their gender they're looking at it again and wondering where do they fit they're, they're having questions if you're giving wisdom to some parents what would that be love your children and give them a hug and i find that quite moving actually as a question um because i've i think through our ministry we've come across so many of these situations and uh you can feel the pain in the families and the parents wanting to do the right things and wanting to to be faithful to the bible but your your children they've if they've come to you fantastic um they've trusted you with something that is that is deeply personal and they are probably very sensitive to your rejection and they need to know that you love them and that nothing is going to Uh, separate you from their love and they know in all likelihood they know what you believe on this you don't need to bang on about that um there may they may come the time where you kind of need to work that through but the first thing is to love them and to thank them and to listen to them and to and to and to journey with them and to be the people that they want to go to next time that they want to share something about it and um yeah be their be their greatest support and that's not comp- that doesn't have to be a compromise to what you believe they know what you believe um and they will you know they can come back to you um when appropriate for for help on that but the first thing is that they just need to know that you're still there for them thank you um so slightly different so if a celibate LGT person is a Christian fully committed to the church, uh, is there any reason why they couldn't become elders or leaders in the church? 
is there a reason why they couldn't sort of continue to progress and move forward into different areas of the life of the church yeah so there's that that's a helpful question that we there's the difference between uh what someone's feelings are and what their behaviors are and you know i didn't i didn't ask for my particular feelings what matters is is um not what my temptations are but what i've done about them uh, jesus was tempted in every way we're told uh he always dealt with his temptations in a, in a godly way um so we, don't, we don't judge him because he was tempted in a particular way and neither should we judge someone just because they happen to be um have a certain sexual orientation or a certain confusion around their gender um what what matters is how they dealt with those um temptations and are they seeking to turn to god each time they feel them um so what about asexuality what are the bible's teachings slash what are your views small one yeah <laughs> 30 seconds so asexuality uh, for some people they just don't have strong sexual feelings and and that might be something something that <coughs> excuse me that's that people kind of move to in older age you know libido goes down but uh, but gen generally it's a kind of a more of a, a kind of a profound sense of of, of of disinterest in in sex in sex um in life and that that might just be kind of how someone's wired or sometimes and i'm not saying it always but sometimes it can be due to a a traumatic experience a, an abusive experience that really completely distances a person from from sex so that's something just to be sensitive about is whether there's maybe been a history um where where someone's had a difficult experience with sex and that's what's kind of keeping them away um but yeah i mean for someone who's who's not interested in sex um they still need to be loved they still need to be included and they and 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 as i say intimacy we all need intimacy um there were studies on uh, i'm sure you've heard you, you know babies in romanian orphan orphanages who died because they didn't they weren't hugged and cuddled and loved and uh, we all have a deep need for for love and it doesn't have to be sex uh, would you have any advice for where to go scripturally uh, that's part of the question i think it felt like quite a, a significant part of the question for that person would you have any advice there um so in um you know, we touched on matthew 19 later in that book sorry later in that chapter there's a very a, an interesting few verses on eunuchs um and jesus talks about um i don't know if i've got it here talks about eunuchs that were born that way uh eunuchs that were made that way you know castrated i suppose by men and 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 eunuchs who um who've chosen that path so that might be you know, like a a metaphor for someone who has embraced a life of celibacy um because because of their maybe their sexuality or because of a call to wholeheartedly do something that a, only a single person could do but the first thing is that sometimes sometimes people are are born like a eunuch um so like someone who doesn't have any sexual drive and that so that might refer to it might include kind of those intersex conditions where there's you know there's complications around the sexual anatomy but it could also include asexual people who 
who just aren't born with a sexual drive. So um, isn't that amazing that Jesus actually uh, referred to people who would have been real outcasts like that, who would have been sexual outcasts in those days, who would have been uh, ceremonially unclean because of their because of um, because of those things, and um, and Jesus says he recognizes that he recognizes that that uh, that is how some people are, and he he honors that. Thank you, thank you. So um, another question. So at work, my manager has transitioned. What pronoun should I use in conversation, or should I just refer to him, her, by his or her new name? Yeah, great question. There's much debate about this. To, to what extent is sort of it's back to the sort of terminology. If I if if he now calls now now appropriates um, a, a feminine gender, do I say she or do I try to sort of bodge bodge it by never never using pronouns? That's that's obviously the, the kind of a one way one way of doing it. Um, to what extent? If it's a bit like the kind of do I, if I'm invited to a gay wedding, do I go to a gay wedding? Is that, is that, um, loving and honouring the person, or or is it, kind of compromising my beliefs? Um, I would personally say, with terminology, um, you know, that that person has has fought for that, that they've been through a painful journey for that. Um, don't dismiss it. Um, does it really compromise what you believe? Does it really marginalise what you believe? Um, that's something for your own conscience. But I would, um, I would find I would find it a bit hard to be rigidly referring back to their birth sex. Uh, seems a bit unkind to me. But you know, if that's what if that's what your conscience says that you need to do, then then listen to your conscience. Um, but I would say you know find a I would personally use, you know, if it's like it's a bit like if someone changes their name by deed poll, and you might not like their new name, but you respect that they've done that. Um, I would say go with what they've said, but maybe find a way kindly to to bring the gospel to them, or if they're if they're calling themselves a Christian, gently to challenge them on that. Great, thank you. Here's another question. So, can an intimate, loving relationship that is celibate between two homosexuals be encouraged as positive within the church when they have found a lifelong companion with someone? So, I don't know if that question needs sort of separating out. I, when I would read that word, intimate, loving relationship that is celibate, I, I would be interested to hear how you would appreciate that. But then, can it be something that is actually celebrated in the church today? So... So there's a question we sometimes get at True Freedom Trust where two friends, you know, want to be, want to have their friendship honoured, uh, you know, maybe kind of looking at kind of a David Jonathan type relationship from the Bible where there's, there's something really special about that relationship. And I think it's got to be, you've got to, you've got to, again, you've got to kind of look at the person's hearts. Are they trying just to mimic marriage, which as we've seen the Bible says is for a man and a woman? Are they trying to almost get as close as they can without it being a marriage um or is it something that can genuinely be uh supported and and uh, and celebrated um i can think of one couple within not a couple uh, uh, two friends within tft men, membership 
and they've they've bought a house together and they open up to hospitality and they've talked to their church leaders and they celebrate and it's really positive and open and and non-exclusive and and that's a great thing and um, for some people it may be that they're kind of kidding themselves and th then they're saying hey this is a celibate relationship but then they're just putting themselves in temptation's way so i think of it a little bit sort of case by case um but i think we need to be wary of of kind of mimicking marriage in celibate relationships because god has set marriage apart as something unique fantastic so here's the question so if someone was born with a kidney issue or a heart issue we identify them as having a medical condition and we work to fix it if people have mental health issues as it and it is a biochemical issue we see it is okay to have treatment how is it different with gender dysphoria how is having a mismatch between your brain biochemistry and your body not a similar issue to something like anorexia where you see their body as as fat how is that something that we should tr uh, treat yeah it's a good question um so as i said at the start there is that uh, matter of intersex where there is a, a very very clear medical issue and i and i certainly wouldn't um i wouldn't minimize that um that that does that does need medical treatment and there are there are other medical you know medical situations where maybe um a woman has more testosterone than would be normal or or vice versa for a man and and there's there's room for medical input in those situations um but I think the question is coming more from in, in gender dysphoria, where it's more just a felt sense. Um, you know, I, I can see that I'm a man, but I feel like a woman inside. And and there has been some 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 um, sort of research to push the idea of a, um, a you know that I've got a, you know that I, my my brain is a woman's brain sort of thing. Um, and but that's not that's not conclusive and it's kind of trying to trying to take something which is all we can we can really just say is a felt sense and trying to make it into a medical issue and um as i say sometimes it can be a bit of a fine line between what is clearly medical and what is maybe a person is is trying to make their felt sense into something um medical um so sometimes I think it takes it takes a medic to kind of really be able to kind of draw the line on these issues. Um, but we've, we've got to be able to draw the line somewhere. Um, otherwise, with with gender identity, it, it can undermine the whole biblical sexual ethic. Because, you know, if I say if say if I redefine myself as a woman, I can then go and marry a man. Um, does that make it a same-sex relationship? No, because I'm now a woman. So it kind of, unless we're kind of, unless we kind of draw the line somewhere, then our whole sort of sexual um, morality dissolves. So it's tough, isn't it? But we've, we've got to draw the line somewhere, I think. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so we'll do a couple more questions, and uh, I think we'll give space for people to come and just 
either drift off or come and have a chat with you, Stuart. Um, we've had loads of people just saying thank you so much for how you've done this. You've just been really honest and open and super helpful. Um, so one question here. What are your th thoughts on the words uh, arsen okaites, the Greek word there, and how vague it can be if it mainly means homosexual sex Presumably, it doesn't seem to be a prohibition against celibate relationship. So you're just reading of that word and how it relates to that relationship. Okay. Um, yeah, so I'm not a Greek scholar, um, but there's two main words used in the New Testament, arsenokoitai and malakoi. And arsenokoitai is, um, as I understand it, it's a word, um, it's often translated as you know, men who have sex with men. Um, and I think it kind of means, in the root, I think it means, you know, man who lies with another man. Um, and so that is clearly uh, a sexual act uh, between two men. Sorry, what was the, what was kind of the rest of the question? So the way it went was, uh, yes, so homosexual sex, uh, if it mainly means homosexual sex, Presumably, it doesn't seem to be a prohibition against celibate relationships. So can you have celibate homosexual relationships? You can have friendships. Um, I mean, it depends what you mean by a celibate homosexual relationship. If it's um, <coughs> if your if your relationship with someone, I mean, it's kind of back to the sort of you know, can two men or two women have their relationship honoured? Um, friendships are great things. And, and and can be deeply um, intimate and um, helpful. Um, but if there's a kind of a, if there's kind of a, an un, a deep kind of sexual undertone, is it really helpful um, to put yourself in, in that sort of place of temptation? Um, I think friendship, I mean, C.S. Lewis talked about friendship um, being like when you're, t when you're sat next to someone with your eyes on something else, a common activity, as opposed to uh, a, like a sexual relationship, the sort of eros love, where you're kind of gazing into each other's eyes. So I think if, you're, if, you're friend if, if your kind of relationship with a person is, is um, just gazing into that other person's eyes and being completely absorbed in the other person, is that is that really healthy, or or is it essentially like a sexual relationship, but not actually kind of having sex? I mean, in a, in a way, it's a little bit like you know when you sorry, this sounds a bit patronising, but when you have teenagers coming and saying, you know, how far can I go? Um, can I, you know, can we do mutual masturbation because it's not actually outlawed in the Bible, and it's it's really a matter of looking into where the person's heart is and, and, and saying, well, is that a really help? Is that a helpful thing to do? Are you really, um, respecting the, the, the heart of, of the scriptural, um, position? Great. Stuart, thank you so, so much. Can we just give him a great round of applause? He's served us so well. Thank you for your questions. Thank you so much. We're going to close it formally there, but, do feel free to talk with Stuart and uh, have a great afternoon. Thank you.